Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm David Goodby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads to Singapore this weekend for UFC Singapore. Max Holloway versus Korean Zombie. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite main card fights as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Well, we will also give you an underdog at a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as always, we're giving you the interviews you know and love. This episode, jam-packed. We got three interviews coming up for you. Billy Goff, who's fighting this weekend at UFC Singapore. We got Mitch Ramirez, who's going to be fighting on week four of the Contender Series. And we got Abdul Karim Al-Sawadi, who is fresh off that win over George Hardwick in his shiny new UFC contract. So we're going to be talking to all those guys in just a minute. But before we do, let me let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Hard Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor and adult drink fun. Make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's, well, hey, it's really drinkable. And should you stretch before you drink? Well, it certainly couldn't hurt. Because Game Up is not a hard seltzer, because hard seltzers just don't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit punch and grape and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories one gram of carbs it's gluten-free and it's got no added sugar game up is for mma maulers urban fitness freaks peak bagging badasses tough mother mothers beer league brawlers hot yoga hotties high handicap hackers committed cornhole huckers or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it ask for game up wherever did you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team game up brings you this episode of the tough turtle mma podcast and it starts right now the hosts are ready the fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Billy Goff, who fights Yosaka Kinoshita at UFC Singapore. That fight is on August 26th. So, Billy, I wanted to start here. You know, obviously, you're supposed to make your debut all the way back in February. You're supposed to fight Themba Garimbo. Uh, a knee injury kept you from making that debut. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit of the extent of that injury and, and maybe what your recoveries look like? Yeah, so, I mean, recovery-wise, I'm great. I mean, I've had a lot of time. I got the surgery back, uh, back in uh, January. Um, so it's, it's seven months now. Um, the, it was a double knee surgery. I had one tear in, um, the, in my meniscus in my left knee and two tears in the right knee in the, in the knee, meniscus, meniscus, meniscuses <laughs> in the right knee. So three tears and three different meniscus. And it was the last one I've had for a while. I've had it for the last five fights. The right knee um, happened while I was in camp. I went to Inaga foolishly and hit a hit a drag, and the kid kneed me on the side of the knee. And um, I just felt a pop. Didn't feel good, so ended up getting surgery later on January. Um, and I was able to walk out of this hospital. Like I didn't use crutches at all. And it took me about three months to start being able to really work out and start training again, have issues, had pains, but with the help of some, uh, uh, uh kinesiologists, uh, over at dynamic movements, it's, it's, it's helped me a lot to, it's been easier to recover than I thought it would be. Like I got farther back than I thought I was going to, but cause I feel good i don't have any issues i can go in any position um i'm not like i don't avoid anything i can squat ass the grass um i'm good take kicks well well that's great to hear now I, i'm curious too you know obviously the the physical setback is really difficult but also like you know you made an impression on uh contender series you know a really impressive win over shyman smotritsky was it frustrating to not be able to like, you know, turn around and get that fight in February and, and sort of show off what you, you could do in the UFC too? Absolutely. I mean, I've, um, I've been, I've been sitting here and I've watched people who are on the same series, 
put on the same episode as, uh, as me even and watch them fight two, three times since, since the episode. And it's just, it's extremely frustrating while I just sit here and twiddle my thumbs, but also it was a good, it was a good chance to take a step back, uh, really prioritize recovery, which is something I've never done in my career. And, uh, it was a good lesson learned, I guess. Well, that's good to hear too. And, and you said, obviously you feel a hundred percent, you feel ready for this fight. But in addition to that, you know, you, you said you prioritized recovery, do, do you actually feel better going into this fight than others, being that, you know, hey, nobody's ever usually 100% going into a fight. Are you as close to that as you've been in a while? Oh, yeah. It's, um, I haven't, um, I haven't felt this good going into a fight in a long time. I've had a very long camp because I've been trying to get a fight. I've been training for a fight since May. Uh, I've been trying to get something. I was trying to get on Boston. I was trying to get on June or July. Um, uh, and it's, so I've been ready. I've been feeling great for a while, uh, doing a lot of right things, been very disciplined, very consistent. And I feel, I, I'm, I think it's all going to pay off. It's going to, I'm going to have one of my best performances yet. Well, that's great to hear. Now you mentioned Boston in there. I, I almost had to ask, cause I'm a Northeast guy myself, a Massachusetts guy myself. I know you're a new England guy too. We're, we're doing this interview two days before UFC Boston, what, was it frustrating knowing that there was a big live card basically in your backyard and, and they couldn't squeeze you on there? Yeah, no, that was extremely frustrating. I was trying to, I was trying to get, uh, like, I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is the best it could get. Won't have to travel, won't have to do anything, get a nice local crowd. Um, and it just didn't work out that way. Um, but, I mean, it's all right. Things don't work the way you want to always. Hopefully I get a better deal and get one in MSG in the future. Um, I know there's one in November, so we'll see how this one goes and maybe get a name for that one. Um, but it was, it just didn't make sense to me because they have no local guys, not a single local guy on the car. So it just didn't make sense to me that I didn't get a fight. Um, but it depends. I mean, they, it's hard to get a name. Sometimes it's hard to, especially if they're trying, if they're trying to put me against a certain kind of opponent. I don't know. I'm not behind the scenes. So, yeah, I agree with you about the hometown fighter, the one that is, uh, that's shocking to me that they don't have any Boston or Connecticut or, or at least somebody in the area, guys. Now, you, you're a guy who's fought at home a lot. You know, you, you were on Cage Titans a bunch of times, which is in your backyard. CES, same thing. You know, you got Bellator a couple of times in Mohegan Sun. You're a guy who's used to the hometown crowd being behind you and not having to travel. But this one you are training or fighting halfway across the world in Singapore, what was it like when they told you, hey, not not only do we not want to give you UFC Boston, we want to give you halfway across the globe? Well, it wasn't really like um, they they weren't saying, hey, this is your only option, because uh, I could have waited. I could have waited longer. Um, I had the option to wait for something that was closer. I could have waited for a Vegas card. Um, I could have probably waited till MSG if I wanted to. The... Um, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to wait. I wanted to fight on Boston. I wanted to fight before Boston. I wanted to fight in June or July. Um, and they didn't give me anything. So I was like, all right, well, what's what other options do I have? They'd be like, all right, we can get you in uh, New Zealand or Singapore, which is basically the same thing. So I was like, all right, whatever. I'll take Singapore because it's sooner. So that's, that's interesting. So they had you basically fighting a, probably a local boy in each of those situations, right? Because I, I have to imagine, you know, while Kinoshita is not from Singapore, you know, he's going to have the local crowd there. I'm assuming whoever they had penciled you in against in New Zealand, same thing, right? They, they've probably got you against the local boy. What, what is it like knowing that you're basically going to be the, the spoiler in this instance? Um, I, it's no issue for me. I've done it before. Uh, when I fought Gary, there was a, there was a lot of um, there was his it was home his home crowd. When I fought Lally and Navis up at Cage Titans, it, it was their home crowd, and I got a lot of booze then. Um, so whatever happens, I'm I'm ready for it. Um, and it's not like we're fighting in Japan, which would be even crazier because he would it would be really his hometown. Uh, but uh, it's just it's what's to be expected. They're not gonna fly they're not gonna fly two guys across the world. Um, that are like one guy is making his de debut, so they're not gonna fly multiple guys across the world. Uh, they're gonna fly maybe one or two, one, and find someone local to fight them. It's just that's how it works. If I were to go out to Vegas, it'd be somebody near, near there, somebody within the U.S. If I were to go anywhere, they're just gonna they're gonna find somebody 
close so they can save money and make it easier on make it more likely somebody's going to say yes. That definitely makes sense. Now, I'm curious, too, because, you know, you said, you know, you, you could have waited. You could have been on other cards. You wound up just saying, I want the soonest thing. But but what are your thoughts on traveling for fighting? Like I said, you know, the farthest you've pretty much gone in your pro career is Vegas. Are, are you excited to see new places or is that not really your scene? Yeah, no, I love um, I I've, I've had a passport for a while. Haven't used it yet. The furthest I've gone to Puerto Rico, um, which was cool. Uh, but that's still U.S. territory, so I've never left the country. But I hope to travel the world someday, and if I can do it off of my hands, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about those hands, too, because that's obviously why we're here. You know, Kenishita, in addition to being a kind of hyped-up prospect, he's a dude with dangerous hands who likes to box. So, you know, what do you think of that matchup uh, as far as it exists on paper in terms of style? Uh, yeah, like you said, he's a, he is a good striker. He's um, He's... He's um he pushes forward, he pushes the pace, he has some nice counter striking. Uh he's a southpaw. Um the and it's we're gonna meet in the middle. He doesn't really like to back up. Um I don't really like to back up. Um I think if he isn't willing to back up at least somewhat, he's gonna end up running into a takedown. The um, but I think I've got better hands. I think I've got better striking. Um, especially with the threat of wrestling, it adds another layer to the game. Um, but we'll see. We'll see who wins that exchange when we meet in the middle. All right. Well, I usually like to end these things with an official prediction. So you, you mentioned you're going to stand in the middle. You're going to trade with them a little bit. You're going to show them what your American wrestling looks like. But how does this one end come August 26th? Uh, always prepared for uh, 15 minutes of hell, but we're shooting for that first round finish. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Billy Goff, who fights Yasaku Kinoshita at UFC Singapore. That fight once again, August 26th. Billy, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Likewise. Have a great day. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Billy Goff. I once again, I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland. Joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. Obviously, the big news out of this past weekend, Sugar uh, Sugar, Sugar Rashad Evans. No, Sugar Sean O'Malley uh, wins the UFC Bantamweight title. He absolutely torches Aljamain Sterling with the right hand. Now, my question for you, there's a billion options out there for him to fight. You know, you've got Piotr Jan and uh, Aljamain Sterling and Cheeto Vera all for rematches. you got Marab and Corey Sanhagen for brand new fights. If it's up to you, if you're wearing Mick Maynard shoes, who do you want to see Sean O'Malley fight for his first title defense? You know, it's it's such a great question. Uh, I am actually kind of equally cool with anyone. I think Sanhagen poses probably the best challenge to him. Um, and Devishvili just from the wrestling aspect. But I do wonder if we would have sort of like a Connor Chad Mendez situation on our hands, O'Malley's reach. Is he going to knock him out, like coming in for a takedown or something of that nature? So I think Sandhagen is the complete package and would put a stop to this hype train that I'm not a fan of, by the way. Um, <laughs> I really wanted Aljo to win uh, just because I love seeing the UFC like marketing plans go up in flames. But that all being said, uh, there's a lot of good options. I don't think he's a as the champion. I don't even think he's a favorite against maybe, you know, maybe he's a favorite against five out of the top 10, six out of the top 10, but there are like four guys who I would very comfortably call comfortable favorites against him. And also I would like to see Aljo come back at it. I don't necessarily think it needs to be right away, but I would like to see Aljo get a second crack at, you know, putting the puzzle together uh, now knowing what he knows. So what about you? Yeah, I I'm with you on that. I think, uh, I, I think, uh, Sanhagen is obviously the biggest threat. Obviously, he's got the tricep issue, so that might take him a little while to come back. We're probably talking about a different fight before then. But I'm with you. I, I think he winds up being a big underdog in some of those fights, um, despite the fact that he obviously beat Aljamain Sterling. I saw early odds posted that Aljamain Sterling would be a favorite in the rematch. Uh, granted, now it was only negative 120 versus you know the negative 230 or 240 or whatever he was for the first fight. But he's still a favorite um, in Marab Devashvili. It said he opened at negative 180 against Sean O'Malley. Um, the only one he's seemingly a favorite against is Chito Vera. And that's only because he looked worse this past Saturday uh, than Sean O'Malley. Obviously, 
did in that first round. Um, although I didn't think he looked all that bad in the first round either. But yeah, to your point, like I, I think I think all of them are fun matches. I don't think there's a wrong answer because right now the pay-per-views are selling on the back of Sean O'Malley anyway. Um, they're not selling on the back of Aljamain Sterling or the narrative of the rematch against Cheeto. Like he's just going to sell. He has gotten to the point where he sells no matter what. So for me, if I'm the UFC, I put him against the safest option. You know what I mean? Like from a booking standpoint, Rob I put him against, uh, well, then I will not Rob Font, fresh off that brutal, <laughs> uh, 25 minute drubbing at the hands of to Corey Sanigan, but no Cheeto Vera is probably the easiest option, right? That dude went in there and he got tagged a bunch of times by Pedro Munoz. And granted, he took Pedro Munoz's best shot. But there's a difference between taking Pedro Munoz's best shot and taking Sean O'Malley's best shot. So I probably put him in there against Cheeto. But if it's up to me personally, what I want to see right now, I want the Aljo rematch. Like uh, Aljo uh, kind of got goaded into feeling comfortable uh, blitzing him. Because he did it all the whole first round. He blitzed them the whole first round. Sean O'Malley barely threw a counter because he was just measuring it for the first shot of the second round. And he had it right. And he, he lulled him to sleep. If he doesn't lull him to sleep there and, and Aljo doesn't do something stupid like rush in like that and just completely whiff on that punch, maybe he wrestles earlier. Maybe he tries to grind a little bit earlier. Could it be a different fight? I, I think so. Um, and, and does the UFC want to find out about that? Man, I guess it's only time's going to tell us, right? I, it's very interesting because, and this will be the last thing we say on it. You know, they they made that fight um, free on YouTube on Sunday, Aljo versus Sean O'Malley, which they never do. But obviously, they want to introduce the world to their new golden child in Sean O'Malley. And if Sanhagen is truly injured and can't get back out there, it's really interesting to me. I think the Aljo rematch does make a lot of sense, but uh, would they give? O'Malley, Marab, Davishvili, and risk this golden goose they now have on their hands? I'm thinking no. I feel like they're going to come up with something before he has to face uh, Davishvili, but I will give them a lot of respect if that is the first title defense because, you know, I think it poses a really big threat of Davishvili just taking him down 700 times and grinding out a decision win. Yeah, uh, and, and then, I, I think that's yeah. why they go with Eljo, though, right? Because here's the thing. Aljo poses that same risk, right? That he just takes him down a bunch of times and he grinds on him and he winds up winning like he did against Henry Cejudo. And this time he just stays safe at the right-hand counter. But the bonus of that Aljo situation, trilogy. There's yeah. And with Marab, maybe that's not there. But with Aljo, that's there. I like it. Well, I'll tell you what else I like. It's our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays. So let's get to that Gumby let's break down a couple of fights give a couple of live dogs and parlays to play for this weekend's UFC fights but before we do I'm wondering does anyone sponsor this edition of fights dogs and parlays absolutely fights dogs and parlays is brought to you by game up hard hydration the new ready to drink beverage with sports drink flavor and adult drink fun <laughs> it is not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just don't work out Instead, it is a drink entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your great, the great sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, one gram of carbs, it's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. As for Game Up, wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer, and bring it on home for the team. All right, we have a main event with two big names, but the odds are a very widespread here. Max Holloway is a minus 850 to Chan Sung Jung, a plus 520. Uh, Holloway, I mean, at this point, is just gatekeeper status because uh, he can't beat Volkanovsky. No one wants to see that fight for a fourth time. So here we are. He's going to main event and have some of these, like, you know, name fun fights. But huge, huge favorite here, uh, getting Volkanovsky off, or excuse me, getting Korean Zombie off a loss to Volkanovsky. So the two of them have four losses to Volkanovsky between them. Who you got here? It's Max Holloway. Like, there's a reason he's negative 850, right? And we, we've seen Chan Sung Jung struggle with people who are just craftier on the feet. And man, like, Volkanovsky not was just craftier on the feet, but eventually got so comfortable on the feet that he started dropping big, heavy shots, which, you know, was a little out of character from Volkanovsky because he's so safe and so technical and so careful in what he does. But even he had been like lulled into a sense of security because he's so much faster. And the thing about Max Holloway is he's not all that different than Volkanovsky. I mean, obviously the wrestling is a little bit lower on him, but like 
you know, the hands are, are virtually the same. You know, they're, they're a tiny, tiny step behind. Dude, he's just going to pick chance on Jung apart at, at all costs. He probably lands 250 shots this weekend um, in just one of, like, the more brutal beatings you've seen. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's Max Holloway all the way here. Yep, agree completely. Can't really go against that. Uh, Ryan Spann is going to rematch with Anthony Smith. So uh, let's just sort of set the table here. Back in September of 2021, Anthony Smith beat Ryan Spann uh, and beat him via rear naked choke. And then Anthony Smith went on to lose two in a row since then. So he is one and two in his last three, with the last one being Ryan Spann. But now they're matching up again. Span coming off a loss. He's the minus 150 favorite. And Smith, who holds a win over Span, the plus 125 dog. Who you got? Yeah, I don't know why Ryan Span is a favorite in this fight. Uh, I'm going with Anthony Smith because, like, you know, not only did he beat him and beat him by rear naked choke, but nothing that Ryan Span has showed me since then makes me think that the fight would go differently, right? Yeah, he beat Ian Kudalaba when Kudalaba shot in on a guillotine choke. Kudalaba sticks his head in guillotine chokes. Yeah, he knocked out Dominic Reyes with a jab. Guess what? Dominic Reyes' chin hasn't looked real good as of late. So that doesn't surprise me about Ryan Spann. And then he lost by submission to Nikita Krylov, who I don't necessarily even think of being a better grappler than Anthony Smith. So, like, it, it already seems like he's having issues with grapplers like Anthony Smith, like Nikita Krylov. And sure, maybe he's progressed in a couple years and his wrestling looks a little bit better now, but... I still think Anthony Smith, who's, you know, even though he's getting up there in age, it's not like Johnny Walker went out there and knocked him cold. He went in there and took what Johnny Walker had to offer. I think he takes what what Ryan Spann has to offer, and I think he winds up getting back to the grappling. So give me the dog money on Anthony Smith here. Uh, I agree. And speaking of grappling, we have our girl fighting this weekend. We're huge Aaron Blanchfield fans here on the show. She's a minus 150 favorite to Talia Santos, who's just a plus 125 dog. I'm a little surprised on these odds. I am picking Blanchfield all the way. I think Blanchfield's more complete. I what we just saw her, you know, destroy a former champion and Jessica Andrade. Uh, so, yeah, I have Aaron Blanchfield all the way. Who you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with Aaron Blanchfield, too. I, I am a little surprised in the odds. Obviously, the Talia Santos fight against uh, Valentina Shevchenko looms large in people's minds um, as a reason why she's so high. But, like, Talia Santos isn't flawless in the grappling department. She's shown sort of, you know, chinks in the armor there. You know, Valentina Shevchenko took her down three times. Uh, you know, Valentina Shevchenko had four minutes of control time against her. And, and I don't think of Valentina being this, like, suffocating grappler. Now she's going to fight a suffocating grappler, and that's a little bit more problematic. Um, you know, we've also seen her taken down by people like Mara Romero Barella. And so, like, if she's got any holes in her takedown defense, which, you know, it, it's been good at times, but it's, you know, she hasn't fought the greatest grapplers, I think Blanchfield just takes her down. And if Blanchfield is out there taking down people like, you know, Jessica Andrade and making her look like she's never grappled before, uh, man, I, I think she'll do the same to Talia Santos. So, yeah, give me give me Blanchfield. Might be a little harder for her to get the sub than it was against uh, Andrade, but I, I think the control's there. All right, I'm with you on that. Let's get to our dog of the week, and our official dog of the week is Parker Porter. Let's hear it. Yeah, Parker Porter plus 110. Some people might hesitate because he lost to Junior Taffa's brother, Justin Taffa, but two things about that. First of all, I think Justin Taffa hits a little harder than his little brother Junior does, and in addition to that, I am really low on Junior Taffa's wrestling defense. I don't think it's there, and I thought Parker Porter was going to beat Justin Taffa with his wrestling and by, you know, going to the grappling a little bit more. He kind of stupidly didn't, and he just slugged with him and got knocked out. I think that's probably lesson learned right there, and it's like, oh, these Taffa guys, I got to get to the grappling. I think we see him go to the wrestling earlier. I think we see him having success with the wrestling. I've also just creeped on him on Instagram a little bit. The dude looks thin, uh, for at least for Parker Porter, who's usually a pretty pretty stout guy. So I like the idea that his cardio might be up and it might be setting up uh, some wrestling here. So I'm going to go with Parker Porter, plus 110. All right. Our parlay to play is Aaron Blanchfield, the aforementioned. She's a minus 150. Pair her together with Rolando Bedoya at minus 250. Two solid favorites, 150, minus 150, minus 250. But pair this together in a parlay. I get you plus 133 odds. Break it down. 
So we talked about why we like Blanchfield. I just think she's got the control all the time in this fight, and it should go pretty easily for you. I also like Bedoya here. The guy took a short-notice uh, fight to lead off his UFC career against uh, Chaos Williams, who's a big power puncher. He went toe-to-toe with him for 15 minutes, and he landed some big shots on his own right. He actually only lost that fight by split decision. I think they're doing him a favor now by turning him right around and putting him against Song Kanan. Song Kanan, a guy who you know gets hit kind of a lot. You know, he's got his own skills in different areas and stuff, but he's super hittable. And with the fact that he's hittable, I think Bedoya is just going to land big on him here. So the fact that we can put both of those together and get plus 133, not bad in my opinion. All right. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. You could let us know if we did you right or did you dirty with these picks at Top Turtle MMA on the social medias. Uh, Gumby, we're having a party here. What should we do next? So we're going to transition now to a couple of interviews that I have left with Contender Series folk. First, we're going to be talking to Mitch Ramirez, who is going to be fighting this upcoming week on Contender Series. That's week four. And then a little bit later, we will be talking to Abdul Kareem Al-Sawadi, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago and is now the recipient of a fresh UFC contract after beating George Hardwick. And he's talking about all the aftermath about that. So we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Mitch Ramirez, who fights Carlos Praches at Dana White's Contender Series Week 4. That fight is on August 29th. So, Mitch, I always like starting talking to Contender Series guys, uh, asking them, you know, you get that call, it's life-changing, you're going to get a chance to fight in front of Dana White. What did it feel like when that call came through? Felt good, man. I mean, it was like, uh, it was pretty quickly after my last fight. So, it was, uh, it was... I was I was hoping for it. I wouldn't say I was like expecting it. You know, I, I've been trying to get on contender for a few years now. And for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. I whether I was couldn't find the fights or whatever happened, or they went with somebody else. So it was just uh, it was definitely gratifying as well as uh, you know. I, I I think that it it was validating. You know, finally, okay, sweet. Now they're taking notice. Now I get my shot. Well, that's great to hear. Now you're talking about that last win. It was for XMMA, which. You know, it's not a promotion that's been around for a really long time, but they really make noise with, the, you know, the level of talent they sign. A lot of ex-UFC guys. Was that some of your thought going to XMMA? Was like, this is a chance to put like a bigger name on my resume to be in front of more eyeballs? Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, the, like you said, they're not like the most, uh, they're not the biggest promotion, but the talent level is really high. And I've had buddies of mine that, you know, are UFC vets and, and are, you know, well-known guys who've gone over there and fought on multiple occasions. So I knew I've, I've heard of them. I've, I've been following them since they started. Uh, and honestly, I got that opportunity on two weeks notice. So it was kind of one of those things where it was like, hey, go out there, put on a good show. You know, it was kind of like a like, you know, quick. It's a quick task. Like, I've got to do this quickly. I wasn't, you know, I was in fight shape. I was coming off an injury. So jumping in there and getting that win like that, you know, it was, it was like the juice is worth the squeeze. And that's why I went and did it, it was because it was XMMA. So you're coming off an injury for that fight. Now, first of all, devastating win. Leg kick TKO. You see so few of those in the world. Uh, what kind of injury are we talking? Was it a, I mean, I can't imagine it was a lower body injury with the lower body, you know, pain you were dishing out. But was it a lower body issue? Yeah, yeah, it was actually. It was my knee. It was my right knee. Yeah, so I was I'd been dealing with a with a staph infection that had gotten inside of my right knee and done some damage. So I had just gotten cleared to start wrestling again and training again about a week before I got the call for a two week notice fight. So I was, I mean, I'd I'd been like on vacation basically hanging out and eating good food and you know just like I just barely made a decision like within the last few weeks to be like, hey, I'm gonna go up to 170 now. I don't need to be making that cut anymore. I'm big enough to stay up here. And then literally got home from, you know, I was in uh, Miami with my girlfriend, Cynthia, for uh, UFC Miami. And we came back and they were like, hey, you want to fight in two weeks? So I was like, all right. You know, I mean, I, I, I knew I could get it done, you know, and uh, my knee was definitely still I mean, it was the knee was pretty much healed at that point, but I hadn't strengthened it yet. So it was definitely a little a little scary going in and, be, and then to kick them to death like I did was kind of was not the game plan, to be honest with you. It was not the game plan at all, but it's what, it's what was there. So that's what I did. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine that that's the game plan. And I got to imagine, you know, when, when you dish out a leg kick TKO, of course, that guy's going to walk home feeling a lot worse than you did. Uh, how'd your leg feel after that fight? It couldn't have been so good, right? Bro, both my legs were wrecked, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I was I was joking. I, I made like a video on Instagram and stuff of like, dude, I had both my ankles were cankles. Like you could not <laughs> see the balls of my ankles for probably like a week and a half after that fight. Uh, yeah, definitely put some dents and some bruises on my shins, but that's the game and it was worth it. So 
Well, it's good that you've gotten some time to rest up a little bit. Now, I, I want to talk about this fight coming up, but I also want to talk about, you know, some other aspects of fighting. One of my favorite things to get off of fighters is their fighter nickname story, uh, because everybody's got a good nickname, you know, except for the, you know, 85 hitmen and the 37 bulldogs and everything else like that. But you're the fight stalker. And I feel like it's a joke that maybe some people don't get because, you know, Richie Ramirez, for those of you who don't know, yeah. serial killer was the night stalker. So how did yeah. you wind up the fight stalker in all of this? Honestly, it was, it was my coach, man. It was uh, John Wood. So when I moved to Las Vegas about a year and a half ago and I started training, um, for whatever reason, John would just, he was like, Oh, Ramirez, like, like the night stalker. And, and in the past, <laughs> you know, when people hear my last name, they make that joke of like, Oh, I like the night stalker. And I always be like, not like you know because the nice he was he was kind of he was a weirdo let's be honest you know like he was kind of like he wasn't like a, like a cool I mean I don't think any serial killers are cool but he's definitely on the weirdo scale so it'd always be like I it would always bug me a little bit like why they bring this guy up and my coach would give me shit and he'd call me because the way I fight too like I just like I bite down I stalk my opponent like I fight like the way I fight is very much like you know the fights I I am in the fight stalker as per the words literally you know like I like to stop that fight and get guys to engage and fire with me. But my coach would just kind of start to make jokes. Mitchard, he'd start, you know, making up these little names. And at first I was like, you know, at first it was like, I don't know about that. And then eventually it just got to a point where it was like, you know what? Let's roll with it. I like it. And then one day we were hitting pads and I was chasing around the cage, banging pads with him. And he goes, you're the fight stalker. He was like, you're the fight stalker. He's like, he's like, that, that's what you are. He's like, you're not the night stalker. You're the fight stalker. And, and it just stuck. And then everybody, everybody started calling me that. And then it was appropriate, I guess. So we rolled with it. I dig it. I dig it. I do have to ask, though, because it was Richie Ramirez and you're Mitch Ramirez. Nobody's trying to make Mitchy work, correct? No, no. My, my, coach, would call me, my coach would call me Mitchard. Mitchard Ramirez. I'll, I'll allow that over Mitchy, to be honest. So, yeah. Now, now you my mentioned. My calls me Mitchy sometimes, but that's about this. My girl calls me Mitchy sometimes, but that's about it. I think those are the appropriate people. Probably not John Wood and all that. So, yeah, probably not, not that advice. So, you mentioned moving to Syndicate MMA, right? You're a guy from Utah originally. What, what sort of led you to decide to leave where you've trained your whole life and move to Syndicate MMA in Vegas? Honestly, it was. You know, I'd gotten to a point where I knew I was going to get a shot soon. Like in the, in the next year or two, I knew I was going to make that jump. And I know, I, I believe in my skills and I believe in my training, but I knew I needed to start getting some of these looks because the sport's just progressing so fast and guys are so good at everything now that, you know, good training partners are, are really important. You know, you, you need to have the look in the room before you have the look in the cage. You know, you never want to be in a situation where your first time's in a live fight. And I just realized that, you know, I was looking at the guys who were getting these shots and looking at the level of talent. And I went, man, okay, I need to figure out a way to either bring partners in or go places. And you know, I'm young in my career, so bringing flying guys in isn't really an option. Uh, so I went to Vegas on a training trip. It was actually one of my coaches in Utah, who's still my one of my coaches right now. He's my conditioning coach, a guy named Torbjorn Carlson, uh, Olympic ski coach, a very, very credentialed uh, endurance coach. And he just, he's, you know, traveled the whole world as a, as a coach with multiple Olympic teams and stuff. He knows the game of sport. And he was the guy that pushed me and was like, Hey, you know, I'd had other people like, Hey, come check out Vegas, come check out Vegas, you know, manager, friends, things like that. But when he was like, no, Hey, like uh, we've been working together for about two years at that point. And he was like, Hey, we need to go down there and you need to get these books. And we need to, we need to see what the environment's like at the highest level. Let's go. And he funded the whole trip. You know, he's, he's been a, you know, a game changing coach in my life and influence in my life. And has done a lot for me to, for, and it was one of the reasons I'm here. So he basically was like, hey, I'm covering it all. We're going to Vegas and you're training for a week out there and let's see what it's like. And after a week down here of hard training, I remember we were eating di we were eating dinner in the hotel room. And uh, I went, I just, you know, I looked up at him and, you know, in other times in my life when I've had coaches that I was like, hey, I need to move. There was pushback or, hey, I don't know if this is working. There's pushback. They want to keep you. Uh, but the thing about this guy was, you know, he's been so successful and he doesn't need anything from me. You know, he's, he's, I mean, if I started railing out his credentials, it's, it's intense. I don't even know how I got lucky enough to work with him. So, you know, when he was like, I, you know, I was like, Hey, I looked at him. I said, I think I need to move here. And he goes, I've been waiting for you to say that all week. Yes, you do. And I'll do whatever I can to help you do it. And from that point forward, I, he ended up going home and I ended up staying with some friends I made here for another week in training, came back and within two weeks and quit my job, found a new job in Vegas, loaded up everything I owned in my car and, and drove out here uh, day after New Year's and I, uh, 2022. And I've been here ever since. Well, that, that's awesome to hear. And, and I was going to ask you too about your influences in MMA because, you know, Utah is not a spot 
they, they've had their little pockets of MMA here and there, you know, the Court McGee's and the Jeremy Horns yeah. and stuff like that. But it, it's not a place really known for, you know, a thousand MMA fighters. So, like, how did, how did you get started in the sport there? It was some of those guys you mentioned, you know, it was uh, I, I grew up in, the, in a city called Orem, which is the city that the pit elevated was located in. So when Court won the Ultimate Fighter and all that, that that era of, of MMA that was going on, you know, when Berkman was having his resurgence and Court won the Ultimate Fighter and Steven Seiler and Ramsey Nijim and, you know, t- they had a team alpha male, you know, all these guys. It was it was really hot at the time. This was like probably, I don't know, maybe 2008, to, you know, around 2008, 2012, something like that. Um, I was fortunate enough to live in the city where that gym was located and I'd found MMA at like 14. I grew up wrestling, you know, stuff like that, but I found MMA at 14 and I really liked it and gravitated towards it. But I also was, had a lot of bad influences around me and I was using drugs and doing other stuff like that. But it was something that I always loved and that I was good at and was talented at. I'd go to the rooms, I'd go to practices and guys were always remarking on, you know, dang, dude, you got good hips, dang, you got power, you know? And I was a young kid and that was like, kind of gave me confidence of like something positive I could do. And then there were guys like Court, you know, that I befriended and, 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 you know, I would see, you know, Josh Berkman hitting pads. And these were the guys that were on the posters for the bit, you know, there was like a local showdown show where I was from where thousands of people would show up to watch guys fight. And then those guys would go to the UFC and I watched these guys and I was like, man, maybe I could do that. I think I could do that. And then once I got my life together, uh, I, you know, I'd already become good friends with Court because Court had a similar, you know, go early in life and he kind of mentored me a lot when i was really early on and you know pointed me in the right directions and helped me uh stay on track and stuff and you know i just traveled around and i went to where all the best rooms in salt lake i ended up moving to salt lake because of that then the pit elevated fell apart and it wasn't there anymore so i went up to salt lake for the best training and you know the rest is history i just continued to train and stick by the most experienced guys in my area and learn from them and grow from them and when it was time to make the jump and and really chase and, and chase my time then that's that's what i've done so well, that's awesome to hear. And it's led you here to week four of Dana White's Contender Series. Let's talk about the matchup with Carlos Brache. So he's coming off back-to-back head kick tech KOs, right? Yeah. He, he does stuff on the feet. You know, you mentioned you're a guy who likes to stalk somebody down and make him get into a fight. But I also know earlier on in your career, you know, particularly those you know first one, well, maybe not the first couple of fights, but some of your first fights, you, you were hitting the ground quite a bit. You're getting some rear naked chokes in there as well. Yeah. Is this a fight where you feel like, you know, you have more of a massive advantage on the mat or is this one, you know, give us a little bit of a style breakdown where you feel like you're going to stalk him down and make him throw. Yeah. So he's definitely crafty striker. You know, he's got a lot of experience in striking and Muay Thai and all that kind of stuff. Um, He's got some nasty finishes for sure. Um, But yeah, I think that, I think that I have a power advantage over him. So while he's got, you know, he can, he gets people with head kicks and stuff like that. I punch people and they fall down typically. So I know that on the feet, while he might have more experience and a little bit more range and some, a little bit more craft, I still have that X factor of, of mind numbing power in my hands. So if we want to strike it out and bang it out, I, I, I trust my power. I trust my training. I have good defense. You know, you're not just going to head kick me like that. I'm not, I'm not one of these dudes that's going to stand in front of you and let you do that to me. Uh, and on top of it, yeah, I do believe I have an advantage on the mat and in the grappling and in the wrestling. So, you know, but at the end of the day, man, it's a fight. And I've gone into a lot of fights before where I expected this and I expected that and saw something totally different, just like my last fight. Like I said, I had no intention of kicking that dude's legs. I thought I was going to do something totally different. But when I got in there and I started fighting the guy, I realized that what I thought I wanted to do wasn't readily available and I made an adjustment. So going into this fight stylistically, uh, I think the keys for me are just to be be aware, you know, not run into some stupid shit, right? He gets, he got, he's got a nasty uh, left leg, whether it's a knee or a kick, right? He's, he's real dangerous there. He's long. So just making him uh, not letting, you know, not letting him set the pace, not letting him do what he likes to do, not letting him, you know, set rhythms on me and just honestly just get making him fight me. And when I do that, I, I'm one of the best in the world at it. So I'm just going to create some chaos some beautiful chaos and, and get in the, get in a fist fight. That's what I do. Oh, well, we're looking forward to it. Now, before I let you go, I always like to ask every single fighter, you know, you, you said you're open to a lot of things, but I always like to ask him for a prediction. How do you see this one ending come August 29th? I, I see me finishing him. Uh, now, which way that comes, I'll leave it up to him. Mm-hmm. Now, that's reactive, but I've been training really hard for many, many weeks now. I'm in, I'm in really good shape. You know, I'm, I'm, I try not to make crazy predictions on how I'm going to do it or what I'm going to do with it because it gets me stuck to like an idea. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to throw bombs. I'm going to shoot takedowns. We're going to we're going to do a whole bunch of shit. And, you know. Who knows? You might see a technical striking match. You might see a wild wrestling match. I, 
I'm just going to get in there and fight. You know, I, he, his, his guess is as good as mine. Let's put it that way. But I do know this and that's that I can get down. I've got skills across the board. So whatever he wants to do, we can do it. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This is then Mitch, the fight stalker, Ramirez, who fights Carlos Praches at Dana White's Contender Series Week 4 on August 29th. Mitch, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. All right. And joining me now is Abdul Karim Al-Sawadi, who is fresh off his Dana White Contender Series Week 2 victory over George Hardwood, which earned him a shiny new UFC contract. Abdul, let's start here. You know, we're about a week away from your most recent win. The, obviously, the, the news is settled in. You've had a chance to settle down a bit. Maybe the reality of the situation is set in. How's it feel? Oh, man. You'd think that things are all settled down already, <laughs> but they're not settled down at all. Everything's still crazy, but um, it's, it's definitely, definitely great. And, um, you know, just still soaking it all in day by day. I had a lot of people travel and come from out of state to celebrate with me over here. And um, so, you know, they just left yesterday. So today is my first day back to my normal life where, you know, I, I, get, I, got, I'm, I got back to the gym, everything. Uh, I didn't really take any days off except for the day I, I flew back over here. But um, I always like to train right after my fight, you know, just uh, to, to get my body going. You know, if I stop, you know, you get all these issues after a fight, like inflammation and all. But um, it feels great, man. It feels really good because this definitely was the biggest fight of my career. And everything that I said in the interview and in the UFC pre-fight, when I said everything is on the line, I meant that, you know, <laughs> everything was on the line. And of course, now at this point in time, you've, you've heard people talk about you while you're fighting. You've gotten to go back and watch the broadcast and you've seen how you've looked. You've seen people comment on how you looked. What, what is all that like? Man, you know, the thing is, it, it's not a surprise because I know this about myself. I have always been saying, I just need the chance to show it. You know, I know how exciting my fighting is because that's just how I know how to fight. Like, I don't try anything extra like I just know how to keep a pace on and 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 go like I I if if I get a certain position that becomes boring I literally get out of it and go to like something more exciting even if it's a bit more risky you know at no point in the fight that I think I was losing I knew I was winning the whole way through but at the same time at no point was I even thinking about slowing down just to get the win you know um so uh, it was great. You know, it was a bit frustrating uh, hearing uh, everything before the fight. You know, like the commentators were like barely giving me love, you know, the betting odds. But at the same time, it's, it's something that truly, truly does motivate me because it makes me like just focus so, so much. Um, and yeah, uh you know, it was it was great in the end, you know, to see Dana White talk about me like that, to really I was able to put him on notice about me. So so that was that was really great to be honest, that part. And you talked a little bit in there about Dana White and the broadcast team talking about you and you know, some some of the frustrations, but also the good stuff with Dana White. But did you also get a chance to, you know, get a little time face to face with the with the big guy backstage? Did you did you get a chance to rub some elbows with him? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw Dana backstage, and, uh, you know, we spoke very briefly. And I was just like, hey, Dana, I want to fight UFC Abu Dhabi. You know, he looked at me, and he was like, hey, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. But, you know, everything was rushed, and everything was quick, so it wasn't like we had an actual sit-down. And, uh, you know, so I don't know. Really, at this point, you know, whenever you know people ask me what's next, I say, look, and this is what's brought me everywhere is, I'm just going to take it one day at a time right now, you know. I just finished the fight, but that doesn't mean I'm just going to, I'm going to be lazy and if they call me next week I won't be ready, you know. I'm I'm here, I'm training, I'm ready for whatever's next, but at the same time I'm not like overthinking it or worried about it, you know, especially especially not now. Well, that's awesome. Now I'm also curious a little bit about the fight itself. Because it, it seemed really easy. And I know no fight is easy. But watching it, 
it seemed really easy because at no point in time did it look like Hardwick, who's a dangerous guy, had you in any trouble. Did it feel that way when you were in there during the moments? You know what's funny is that's exactly how it felt. It felt so easy, more like easier than I expected. Like, don't get me wrong. George is a really, really tough guy. And I knew I was going to beat him. But, you know, I, I feared so much. And I've said this so many times. When I fight someone in my, in my career, the more the dangerous the opponent I fight, like the more I just take him so serious to a point where it always ends up being my best performance so far. And I think, you know, George, I, what I, okay, so George posts a lot of videos, all right? And I hated this probably the most thing out of camp is I had to watch his videos because, you know, they were just annoying to me at some point. And, and I had to watch them. Like my coach would be like, you better watch this video. And then by the time, you know, I see you at the gym tonight, you're going to give me a breakdown of everything. And he's watching the video too. But, you know, he's trying to see what I'm seeing and also what he's seeing at the same time. And, and what I noticed at George's fighting style is he's, a, he's like, a, like a momentum fighter also. And he's a, he's a pace fighter. So he keeps pressure on his opponents. He does something where he walks them down. He makes them move more than he does. And then usually they get tired and that's where he knocks them down. Sometimes he gets hit, he gets clipped with punches, and I noticed that he gets hit down the middle with jab crosses. So if you notice, I hit him a lot with straight punches down the middle. And then I would move, faint, and then throw the overhand. Or when he would throw the uppercut, i throw the overhand. But what I noticed about George Hardwick is that he's a momentum fighter, is that when he gains momentum, it's like he's on fire, and he's like, that's when he gets his finishes. So I made sure that either I hit him and move, or if he ever hits me, I have to hit him before I move out again, if that makes sense. So you'll notice I'll hit him and I'll move. And then sometimes he'll counter my head, my, my shots and, and land clean shot on me, but I counter right away and then get out. So it was either I hit him and he doesn't hit me or I hit, he hits me, then I hit him back. So I just made sure that I got the better of, you know, each exchange and, um, I think, no, I know for sure because I had a talk with him. He's a, he's a really cool guy, really cool down-to-earth guy. Um, I met him after the fight at the hotel. He was telling me, like, you shocked me. You know, you read me like a book. And I told him, like, I'm sorry, I don't mean anything. But I honestly did read you like a book. And I saw that I shocked you. Like, in the first round, when I hit you with the overhand, your eyes changed. And everything that you were doing changed. On video, you couldn't really see it, but in person, like, you know, when we're in the cage, we're looking, we're looking straight deep into each other's souls. So any, any little change, you could notice it. And I just, I just saw a little change and hesitation from him that wasn't there when he fought all his other opponents. And I was like, I was interested because I was like, you know, this guy was not really giving me a lot of respect in camp. He was saying... I'm not fighting I'm not fighting like this this crazy guy that you'd never fought before. I'm fighting a boxer wrestler, you know, your average MMA guy that, you know, you prepare for from day one in the gym. So that's why I kinda I was like, you know what, I'm gonna lay low this camp. You know, this guy obviously he he's not giving me the respect. And I was like, why would I try to scare him? and show him who I am before the fight. I was like, you know what? Let's let him have that confidence that I'm just the average MMA wrestler guy. And then when fight time comes, I'm going to surprise him with my speed and my striking and my angles that I've been just hiding in my last fight. So I was like, I'm just going to wrestle these fights until the day comes and I need my striking and the person's not going to expect it. Well, well, that day against George Hardwick that's when I needed it. And that's when I used it. And I know obviously the broadcast team kept talking about your wrestling game and the takedowns and, you know, maybe even imploring you to get more takedowns. And for the most part, you know, you're cruising on the feet. Was there ever a point in time where you were thinking about going more to those takedowns or, or were we just, you know, let's, let's stick with what's working, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, you see, the reason is, 
he kept falling for the feint. So why would I go for a takedown if he keeps falling for the feint? Now, if he stopped respecting my feints and was like, yeah, this guy's a bullshitter, he's not going to shoot, then that would have been the moment I would have shot. But because he kept eating the feints, there was no reason in the world to go wrestle and you maybe get fatigued, you know? I was enjoying my striking so much, I was like, man, I could, I could do this all day. Like, what, why would I wrestle? Like, wrestling gets you tired. I'll do it. I'll do it, but, like, why would I do it if if this, number one, what I'm doing now is, is good, it looks good, um, it's what Dana and the matchmakers want to see. You know, this is a very risky situation, and I, I put it all on the line. I'm not just trying to win and hug a guy 15 minutes. No, like, I want to leave an impression. I don't want Dana and Mick and Sean to be thinking about, does this guy deserve it? I don't want to be sitting in the backseat hoping – and, like, man, I really hope I – I knew right away. Like, I knew with that performance that they were impressed. Like, at no moment did I not think I was going to win or get a contract after that because after all that hype and what I did, I was like, this is how, you know, being the biggest underdog and you want to be remembered in the sport, you got to do great things. So I felt like, you know, wrestling and just being boring – you know, just to win the fight, win the last round, I wasn't going to do that. You know, I, would, I wouldn't mind taking him down and, like, try to, you know, finish with some ground and pound and elbows. But, like, no, I, 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 like, I like how it was going, so I just wanted to keep it there. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Now, I, I usually like to wrap these things up with, you know, asking somebody for a fight prediction. You don't have a fight coming up. Or asking them when they want to get back in there again. You've kind of said you're wide open on that front. So, instead, I'm going to ask you a different question. I saw on your Instagram, we talked about it last time, you're a big barbecue guy. I saw you put together a nice little feast for you and your friends following, you know, to celebrate the win. Tell me, what was your favorite thing you got to indulge in after uh, all was said and done? Oh, man, I did not even stop eating from the fight until now. But um, I let's say we, I had some barbacoa, some brisket, some lamb on rice. I smoked some queso also. Made some mac and cheese. You know, my friends love to eat. I love to eat. So, you know, it was such a great time. Um, you know, there was a UFC filming crew that came out to film everything after. So they got to see, you know, what me and my friends do as a tradition after every fight. So, yeah, man, I just I ate everything, and it was a great day. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Abdul Kareem Al-Sawadi, who is fresh off his Dana White Contender Series Week 2 victory over George Hardwood. Thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Bye-bye. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Game Up Heart Hydration, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm David Gubby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.